This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, I'm at Otago Polytechnic today, and I am joined by Dunedin grandmother, uh, Waitati Gardner, supporter of peaceful direct action, Rosemary Penwarden. Kira Rosemary. Kira Sam, nice to be here. How was your bubble life? Wow, I have to think back a whole year. My bubble life was not a lot different to my normal life, to be honest, except that I didn't have to go out from my amazing piece of land and the trees and the garden. Is it a big piece of land? 11 acres. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, which is something like 4.9 hectares. Have you been there long? Uh, well, we've owned it for five years and we started planting trees immediately, but we've only lived there now for one year. Exciting! Good time to be living there. Presumably you went there before the lockdown. We did. We were actually living in a caravan while our small house was being built. So we spent lockdown in the caravan. And in a wonderful developing garden. And in a developing garden, yeah. With lots to do. Did you get lots done? Yes, heaps. We got heaps done. And at the same time, we got rain, which was necessary. And I got some novels read, which was incredibly novel for me. (laughs) And you have family scattered around? I do. I actually, um, I felt I was being clever. I bypassed the crazy um, real estate ridiculousness that we're facing here in New Zealand with overinflated prices. And I sold my house of 32 years to my daughter and her husband and and my two grandchildren. So we figured out how much we'd need to build a small house on our land. So she got a really good deal <laughs> and I get my family living nearby and we don't have to deal with real estate agents or any of that. So um, it was lovely. It's such an intergenerational challenge we've created for ourselves, isn't it? It really is, yeah. It really is. I, I loved handing that house to my daughter who's who grew up there from the age of three. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Actually, she was less than three. So, you describe yourself as a supporter of peaceful direct action. Mm. What's that about? So, in 2011, and I remember it really clearly, that was the year my grandson was born. He's almost 10 now. And it was also the year Dr. James Hansen came to Dunedin, filled at least three lecture theatres and was live streamed into them. And I was in the smallest one, it was, which was packed. <laughs> um, and he was talking about forcings and feedback loops and degrees of warming of the planet. And most of it probably went over my head, but what did not go over my head was his obvious fear of the future of what we're doing to the climate so that was kind of one on top of the other and then then the third thing that year was when Jeanette Fitzsimons arrived and also filled a lecture theatre to talk about a new campaign that she was going to be part of and it was to stop solid energy digging up the Matara Valley for lignite yeah. So they had three plans for that lignite. One was to make briquettes, squish the water out of them and make briquettes. Uh, the other one was, bri- was lignite to urea, 
as if we needed more urea. And the third one was lignite to diesel. Uh, the dirtiest possible way that you could make diesel. So I sort of um, was listening hard to this and thinking, this is crazy. I've just been listening to how serious the climate <laughs> situation is. And um, it, was, it was weird because at the end of Jeanette's talk, she said, um, like Jeanette's a walking, she was, a walking encyclopedia. But it wasn't the facts and figures that she was spurting out. It was right at the end of her talk when she said, I'm retired from Parliament now, this is what I'll be doing for the rest of my life. And um, that struck me almost like a physical blow right in my guts. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, that's what I'm going to be doing. And Jeanette and I actually did work really closely until her recent death, uh, mostly on coal. Yeah, and um, that's what, yeah. She was inspirational in having a positive message. She was very positive about how she was talking, even though it was about these negative things that are happening. Yes. It was about being positive about what we can do about them. You're so right, you're so right. And I mean, she had her, her, she had her dark moments, and which I think we all do when we're working in this in this field, but it's so important to remain positive and I, I, I even find it hard to say remain hopeful but for me it's the belief in the human spirit that keeps me going I've seen it I've seen it over and over again and I've seen um, I've seen small people who think they have very little power um, really move things, really change things for the better. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Tom Petty, I Won't Back Down. Why this one? Great. Um, I changed some of the words in that and it's a really nice song to sing perhaps when you're linking arms at a, in a blockade or um, outside an oil company office or um, yeah I, I think I'm one of those people who won't back down. I was at those same talks that James Hansen gave. I say talk, it was one talk but it was spread out all over, it was all over the hospital wasn't it? it was different theatres in the hospital. Um, it was in the university actually but the hospital there was um uh, bill mckibben spoke at the hospital mm -hmm. yeah so he was he was he's incredibly yeah. inspiring too both of them and mm -hmm. i remember thinking it at the time both of them said words to the effect of they thought that when they put the science up mm. that was the end of their job and they put the science up and sat back and said, what, now everything's going to change? Yes. And it didn't. It and didn't it, struck me, it struck me at the time that both of them had that same feeling that, yes. hang on, it didn't, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like what the realisation you had when you heard Jeanette. Yes. Guess I'm going to have to do it then. I know. I know. It's so true. And I spent a lot of, like, so from 2011, I guess I've been getting into activism. And I know for quite a few years, I was learning about everything I could about the industry so that I could help to educate people. So that I could help, yeah. One of the things I did was I wrote a little booklet for the Social Justice Commission of the Anglican Church called Just Lignite. And 30,000 copies of that went around the country free and I was probably one of the things I'm most proud of. It was putting it all in simple terms, lay people terms, and explaining why we needed to stop this development. Um, now I've lost my track of where I was going. Oh yeah, I thought education. I thought education would do it. But more lately, I've come to the conclusion that people there's something else that will trigger people and it's not education. Mm. Have you always been interested in causes? Not just in the environment, but you mentioned social justice there. Is, is it 
Is that you? Has it always been you? It, it is actually, and and I can tell you, probably my first protest was uh, I grew up on a small farm near Wanganui, and I think my first protest was when my dad put my pet calf in the freezer <laughs> and I stopped eating meat for a few months. I think they thought I would just um, wither away and die without meat. But little Honeysuckle was blind and he couldn't have her in the herd. Uh, she was a fantastic calf though. She was a great, she was great at calf club. Uh, so that was, I guess, my first protest. Another time I remember this kind of animal, animal related actually. I remember walking home from school and I saw some rabbiters badly treating a dog. I'm not going to explain what I saw, but I was just young, maybe nine years old. And I just remember running all the way home, getting mum to ring the right people, getting those people prosecuted. And I did not give up until those people were prosecuted for badly treating that dog so this sense of justice is quite strong <laughs> it might be from growing up in a big family and being quite low down in the pecking order <laughs> but not just not giving up not giving up and knowing that you can or should will take some responsibility for doing it Mm. You could you could always not give up and sort of harbour that as an injustice, mm. but it's something quite different to actually want to do something about it. To actually do something mm. about it, yes. yeah, yeah. And and um, I mean, this is the thing about the climate crisis, isn't it? It's it's so huge and it's so overwhelming. People don't know where to start and how to do it because we're we're just tiny on our own. We're nothing. Yeah. <laughs> So, inspired by talks in 
2011. Mm. Retiring to the garden. Well, I did work um, for quite some time from home writing magazines for the union company that I had worked for for some years. Um, I could t- I go back a step. Okay. I spent many years as a medical laboratory scientist. And the last 13 of that time was at Dunedin Hospital in haematology. And I was the union rep. And I was the union rep because no one else would put their hand up. In fact, I think I was voted in when I was away one day, perhaps at the dentist (laughs) or something. Um, And it was really scary because our laboratory got privatised over that time. And I needed to stand up to the bosses and I had to learn that it was very very frightening because you had this feeling um, I'm going to be the first one picked off I might not have a job I've got children to, to feed and and that's what kept people really quiet but what we managed to do was get about 99% union membership um, the time that we were Uh, handed over like a chattel to the private employers that's what we were and we had to sign a new contract and we all kept together and sat down around the tea room went through the contract line by line discussed it are we prepared to accept that or not crossed out the bits we didn't want and signed them and we all did it together and then we held on to those contracts until five minutes to five on the Friday of the day that the hospital was there, was then going to be run by a private lab and so nobody knew except us were they going to have a lab tomorrow or not and it, it kind of proved to the new employers and to the hospital um, powers that be that actually it's the workers that are needed more than anything if they didn't have us they could not run that hospital so that was quite a scary but empowering thing to do empowering and a lesson about collective action a lesson about I want to say the theater but the 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 knowing the right thing to do in terms of how the message is getting across yes that's true Um, yes it was giving them a very strong message but what, it, what I saw over that period of time, I mean, it took a long time to work up to that, but what I saw were, I don't know, some lab assistants. There were some people from the Philippines there. There were some others who never in their life had they had the opportunity to feel powerful. But as a group, we were controlling that whole thing. So, yeah, it was great. It was, it was exhausting. And it was scary as hell. So that gave you a taste of making a difference. It did. It did. And I think now that it was a training ground for the biggest fight that humanity has and will ever face. And that's climate change. Absolutely. Why climate change? There's lots of other stuff. So, okay. You you might... We... I... I think that biodiversity collapse right. is in the same as a symptom of the overconsumption yeah. model that we have, yeah. and p- probably as important as climate change. Yeah, I, I why should, climate change? Yeah, I should really, um, I should really modify what I just said because I totally agree with you. Um, climate change, climate and change and ecological collapse you can't separate so yes we are talking about them and they are both symptoms of a economic model that is telling us we need to grow at all cost that we need consumption um, endlessly on a finite planet I mean, that's a bit of a cliche now, but this is the crux of it. We have an economic system that is at war with the planet. And this is, um, I don't know if it was Naomi Klein who said that. So 
Yes, the climate is one of the limiting factors. Ecological collapse is one of the limiting factors. Who knows, it might be the food system that goes first. It might be the fires. It might be the, 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 the huge areas that are be going to become uninhabitable. But this is what we're facing. Uh, I call it the climate crisis. It's the climate and ecological crisis. And we've got to find a way to lessen that crisis as fast as we possibly can. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā maroha nui ki koutou, I hope you're all having a best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you, not in what you, who you are, the triumph of nature's perfect, unique and he may him speak to thank you. So I know that for all of us we have been through a very challenging and fascinating time together for the last more than a year since the pandemic began I'm so grateful for five together each day have really made such a huge difference to me. Thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team, thank you to you all for having me and what a gift it is that we can share this time together that we can acknowledge co-evolution with all life in an infinite and celebrate the realities that we're all individually and collectively experiencing this time so i know for me that more and more i am really fascinated and really nourished by this life experience that we are all sharing and something that i'm really enjoying particularly at the moment, is celebrating that appreciation of reality and acknowledging that as a species we have such a capacious imagination and we can really enjoy fantasy in the realm of, of unreality or the realm of potentiality and this can be so helpful, this can be such a wonderful tool for us in terms of making the life that we want. But reality, of course, has to be our guiding light, has to be our, our grounding and our embracing truth that surrounds us. And of course, reality, like everything in life, can be so many things at once. We can celebrate different aspects of the whole, but our reality carries within it so many different simultaneous truths. Something I'm enjoying at the moment is really appreciating that we can feel different things at once, we can be different things at once, and we can make the choice about which aspects of ourselves we want to encourage to come forward as tools for us. When we are moving through different states of emotion, that we can choose how we want to experience those, again returning to that sense of reality as our underpinning. I think as a species we desire a sense of the absolute and more and more it's so important to recognise that there are all these simultaneous realities. So our beautiful paradise planet, I know that we would love for it to be a certain way immediately. I know that for ourselves we would love our, ourselves to be a certain way immediately in our relationships and our, our projects and all these, everything that we do. I know that we would love for it to be the absolute best that it can be, this idealised, imagined reality. But I think it's so important for us to recognise that we are part of a very long and very precious process and journey. And the most important thing to do is give ourselves and each other and our paradise planet and our consciousness the time that we all need to grow and to co-evolve and to actualise that potential in reality. So I really hope that for you, Whatever aspects of yourself and your reality you're navigating at the moment, this is unfolding in a really supportive way for you. And I'd love to talk to you again soon. Thanks. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Rosemary Penwarden. You're talking about a cliche before. And one of the things that's come to my attention in the last year or so is that the activities that we're doing are actually starting to come to terms with the cliche of thinking global acts local. Hmm. I, th I don't think we had it before. 
mm. and I think now there's a lot of action that's happening mm. that is that is working. Yes, there is, but I've also come to a new conclusion about all of that. That yes, we have to act local. We 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 can't do change the whole world, but what we've got to do locally is big stuff. Like here's here's my here's my individual things that I do. I I've converted a little old Honda City to electric, so I drive electric and I I charge it from solar panels. I've built a small what you would call eco house with as much timber in it as as I can to store the carbon, as little concrete as possible, almost no concrete. Um, I've got a lot of solar panels, so I can. We're off grid as well. I've grown. We've grown trees for food, mostly for the future because we're getting on a bit. <laughs> and so that's my individual stuff. And then in the community, I kick-started the Valley Community Workspace where there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. I can talk about that forever because I love it there. Um, and that's community, but even that is not enough. We have to start now looking at, in our region, in our local region, where are the big polluters? And in a peaceful, loving, positive, colourful way, we have to stop those polluters because they are taking more than their fair share of our carbon budget. And we're all, we're all suffering from that. So we need to take action ourselves, both in terms of our own, it comes down to the agency versus system change. Mm. We need to take responsibility for what, for our own footprints, mm. but also take action that can help create system change. Yes, for sure. And I don't know about you, but um, the number of submissions I've made, the number of letters I've written, to the government, to the local government, to um, Fonterra, to all these people, um, what do they count for? I think they make maybe small, small inroads, maybe they make people think, I don't know. But what I've seen in the 11 years or so that I've been, actually nine I suppose, that I've been seriously into activism, is that sometimes uh, small action with a whole lot of people, peaceful, um, can actually shift things way faster. And it's important to you that it's non-violent? It's absolutely crucial that it's non-violent. Mm. Um, I'm a non-violent person. I, I, ha I can't even kill a bee I couldn't even kill a wasp the other day I, I got a picture of it it showed it to Derek and we figured out it was a German wasp and um, it's allowed to be it's allowed to be there I like the the chant that we're non-violent how about you mm. because it's quite disarming mm. Mm. it's it's still got enough oomph to it to actually you know be a thing that people can get behind and yes. and, and know that you know expressing their their emotion yes yes but it must be hard to be violent against somebody that's singing that well um i saw the police being violent uh, at the town hall a couple of years ago when that was being chanted and that that's actually why it came up i think somebody thought of it but yeah a, a young friend really hurt her knee and um and it was absolutely the police who did that uh, however, I will not, I absolutely refuse to be violent towards anyone, and that includes police. And I'm looking forward to the day when the police realise they're protecting the wrong people. I was watching a f feed that somebody was doing at Ravensbourne mm. um, for the, what's it called, the blood phosphate? Is that what it's referred right. to? Right, blood phosphate, yeah. And, um, I thought the police did a really good job of not interfering, mm. even though there was somebody who was 
trying to get in with a giant ute. Mm. The police, I th- I, from, from the, I've forgotten who it was, it was doing the feed, mm. Fiona or someone. It, it seemed like quite a good interaction to me. It seems as though they, while they not, might not be on your side, mm. that they would like to get it. I think the police um, do an incredibly hard job. And I remember talking to some school children um, a few weeks ago, uh, and one little boy came up to me and said, my dad's a policeman. And I said, that is a wonderful thing to be. That shows, you know, good on him. And you should be really proud because police do an important job. I just uh, have seen probably some bad apples doing things that they shouldn't do. But I'm not going to colour. I'm not going to let that stop me from being non-violent. Yeah. And non-violent action is still action you're still getting involved you're still doing stuff mm. so what have you done in the last year or two in the last year or two yeah um well one of the things that i did was i climbed up with 27 or 8 others onto the scandi atlantic which was a omv support vessel uh in the timaru harbour and spent nearly three days on that ship and got arrested, got charged, and I think four of us out of 27 got actually charged and convicted for willful trespass. So that was a long drawn out affair. It was one of the things that OMV was having to deal with was basically a lot of people were against the deep sea drilling that's been going on for a long time. Um, I'll never forget the judge in Timaru Court and what she said about the four of us. We were all quite nervous about this. I think it was all of us. It was our first actual conviction. Um, She said, 100 years ago, the suffragettes were being labelled as troublemakers and ratbags and even thrown in jail at times. But now they're seen as leaders. And she said, in the future, you four may be seen as leaders. Which blew me away, really did. I don't think of myself at all as a leader. I'm just a grandma who cares. If we, if you are leading, how many people do we need to convince are these actions preaching to the choir preaching to the congregation trying to convince the people who aren't in the church at all who who are you aiming at well every action's different really Um, a lot of the time we're only talking to the company or the government with our actions Um, i I will admit I was involved in the first stopping of the train and from there I've also started a petition to to Grant Robertson and to David Clark who are the ministers, the shareholding ministers of Kiwi Rail, asking them to take Kiwi Rail out of being a state owned enterprise and back to being a government run department so that they don't have to make a profit by hauling the dirtiest fuel on the planet and so that we can get on with making Kiwi Rail an important part of our future. We've got to get the freight off the roads, we've got to get the people off the roads, we've got to build Kiwi Rail up to be a a really first class passenger and freight hauler for, for this for this country, for our kids. So the act Activities in stopping the train, because you're not it, the, the, the stopping the train is not actually about preventing the coal from ever getting to Clandeboy, because you're, you're stopping it for a few hours. So it's 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 it is about the message. It is about getting the attention. So when you say you, uh, I'm not. I'm not involved. But yeah. So I'm part of a group called Extinction Rebellion Autoporty, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've looked at how Extinction Rebellion works. It's um very much a group of diverse people. We've got retired people, we've got students, we've got professionals, all sorts of people. 
got grandmas. <laughs> and basically, if you agree to the kopapa, which is non-violence, then if you have an idea, and if you have enough people who agree to that idea, and if it fits a strategy that may have been agreed to, then you can act independently. I guess what I'm saying is there's no hierarchy. So I'm kind of busy with other stuff at the moment. My partner's not too well just now. And so I'm not having anything to do with, with the trains, except I was really happy and really keen to put th this petition through. Yeah. Maybe I was meaning you in a, in a global sense in terms of the, the desire to make a difference one way to do it would be to physically stop the coal getting there right another way is to stop the train for a bit and get, yes. bring it to the attention yes bring it, you know, get it get it into the newspaper so that when grant robertson is reading the, the letter from you you can join those dots exactly exactly and it's really a lot about strategy and it's a lot about um yeah where where can we make a difference in our little part of the world. Let's take Anoni four degrees. It's only four degrees, it's only four degrees. It's only four degrees, it's only four degrees. It's only four degrees, it's only four degrees.
Bana benden And only that, using some reverse psychology, talking about widespread complacency. Mm. Is that our biggest threat? It's a big one, definitely. I think we're pretty comfortable here in Aotearoa for various reasons. We've got a great prime minister at the moment. She got us through this COVID thing really well. We're not quite through. Got us through the worst of that. Um, but we're all pretty comfortable, right? We've got enough food to eat. A lot of us have got jobs. I can't say that we're all comfortable because I'm actually really ashamed that there are people who are living in cars and without homes. Um, I don't know. It's ridiculous and it's very, very sad. But. Most people, I think, are comfortable enough not to feel they have to make major changes. Mm. We've seen lots of changes, societal changes, over the last year, this COVID year. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I hope what will stick were the lovely things that we saw. I hope what will stick is, is the community that kind of showed up, just showed up. The, the little things like putting a teddy bear in your window I mean people looking after each other for me um, and this is something I've been working on for years now but paying more attention to my immediate world which is I mean I got a bit obsessed with figuring out and it reminded me of being a school kid at calf club figuring out every single grass and weed on our land and um, yeah identifying them again you know the rye grass and the cox coxfoot and the, um, all the different clovers and yeah it, it's like paying more attention to simple things they give a lot of joy So what lessons do you think we can take for the big threats that we face, the social injustice, biodiversity collapse, climate change, mm. from how we've responded to COVID? Well, there's a huge lesson in there and that is that we can change. We can change on a pinhead if we have to. I mean, I just remember the quietness of the lockdown there was nobody on the highways there was no aeroplanes in the sky it was just honestly my dream come true it's what we need again we need that we need that change that's how big it has to be i remember the day just before we went back to level three or level two thinking tomorrow we're not going to have to walk down the middle of the road we're going to go back to rushing about. And we did. It's kind of sad, eh? Mm. I know. I've, I've, I've felt the loss quite, yeah. I've felt that loss. i felt that sadness. And it's almost as if people forgot how to be kind again. <laughs> it's like straight away, they're back into it. And honestly, I, I'd come back to the system, the economic system, we have tr we are trying to slot our little human selves into it doesn't suit us and it's destroying our entire planet maybe that's why the be kind message was so successful that it's something we actually want to do yeah yeah i i honestly believe that and i think that i mean even for example my niece drives a massive truck in a coal mine in the Hunter Valley. My, my nephew used to work for Halliburton as a directional driller. But I love those kids, like, I love them. And I love every human, and it's kind of like, you have a common thing, and it's, 
it's caring and it's family and it's uh, I think we need to just find that in each other and 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 um, go back to go back to that because humans have this capacity to be incredibly incredibly kind and creative what do you think is the role of imagination the role of imagination um, huge yeah and I, I that's one of the fun things about being an activist it's like our opportunities are our are as huge as our imagination and I think as we go forward it's going to be really really important to use that imagination and and use that creativity because the same old things stop working we got to try new things I have some questions to end the show with what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years the biggest success um, the biggest success might be making sauerkraut for the first time. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're in the team. What is your superpower? Oh, my superpower. I don't think I've got a superpower but let me tell you when I'm really quiet and I sit on my favorite rock on my piece of land it's huge and I found it under just under the grass and I dug it all out and it's sitting there flat big enough for me to sit with my legs crossed on I am connected to Papa Tuanuku I am the female, just a tiny little speck of female strength from my mother, my, my mother earth. I felt it when I was giving birth and I felt it at various times through my life but um, I feel like I can be that channel and there's an enormous strength in there to tap into. Now this is my standard list of questions, so I suspect I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I consider myself to be, as I said before, a grandma who cares. So what motivates you? Arlo, who's nearly 10. Adeline, who's just turned four. She's about four going on, oh, I don't know, 12. <laughs> What's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I've got a court case coming up at the end of June, 28th of June, Dunedin, I believe, District Court, Rosemary Penwarden against the oil industry. That's another story. You'll have to have me back. I'll have to get you back <laughs> to talk about that. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? I think my biggest advice is to find the things that give you the most joy make sure they are a very important part in your life and then find the things that you don't need find the things that are cluttering your life and, and stopping you doing the stuff that really really matters and then hey um, get in touch come out on the streets with us It's infectious. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Sam. It's great to meet you at last. We're going out to Smash Mouth All Star. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running Didn't make sense not to live for fun Your brain gets smart but your head gets dumb So much to do, so much to see So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go You'll never shine if you don't glow Hey now, you're an all-star Get your game on, go play Hey now, you're a rock star Get the show on, get 
spaces their bubbles around the world. We're brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tafu McKenzie. This is Smash Mouth's All Star. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin and I have been joined by Rosemary Penwarden. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. And all that Only shooting stars break the This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.